I work with my buyers to help them get what they want. If I didn't know that they want it, there's nothing I can do. So the first interesting tidbit here is I look at a sale. I see a piece of merchandise I want. Maybe I should call the auctioneer. Is this a thing one should do? Or depends on who the auctioneer is. That's uh, absolutely right. So you actually have to make sure that you feel comfortable sharing information. And if you don't feel comfortable sharing information, you probably should not share information with the auctioneer. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's episode is part two of our interview with industrial auctioneer Robert Levy. In part one of the interview, I tried to get an understanding of what's going on inside the mind of an auctioneer. In the second part of the interview, I asked Robert to give me some practical advice on how to be a successful bidder at an auction. In addition, Robert told me that auctioneers sometimes help bidders win items if they divulge to them what they're trying to buy. The problem is, it can be hard to know when an auctioneer is truly on your side. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graff. P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. The sale that just went on yesterday, the Duffin, it is a sale that, you know, some auctioneers would have done live or live on the web. Why did you choose to just go online and, and you worked with um, Meetima? You know, uh, they're actually an advertiser with us. You know, they're, they're sort of a more modern. Do they do live stuff? They do live stuff in certain arenas. So we debated whether or not it should be a live auction sale or not. We worked with our client and we discussed the pros and cons of doing a live auction sale. And given the number of items that we had on the commodities that we were selling, we mutually agreed that presenting the assets in an online auction sale presented in this particular case presented us with a better option for our client and a better likelihood of maximizing the return over a live webcast auction sale. And, and it worked out. I mean, it probably could have been okay doing a webcast. It probably would have worked out fine. Uh, I don't think there would have been a huge difference in what we brought in. We actually, just to give you some data points on the sale, we always forecast beforehand, we were, uh, on average, about 132% of our anticipated gross realization. So that's really good. 152 on our low end and 110 on our high end. So we exceeded all expectations. And the screw machines were utterly pathetic. Well, the screw machines were definitely on the soft side, but other stuff in the sale did 
remarkably better than what we had anticipated. Uh, I think it's indicative of where, where the, I hate to say it to you because this is what I mean, you spend a lot of your time on, but I think automatics right now are suffering a little bit. I mean, it's been a downward trend for quite some time, the advent of CNC. There are still wonderful places, you know, great use for these machines. And and you can talk way better than I can about the, the benefits of, of an automatic bar machine or a chucker for certain applications. But I mean, the great thing is for an auction, if you have a CNC machine that's 30 years old, forget it. But if you have a multi-spindle screw machine... That's 30 years old, you can you might be able to do something with it. 30 years old isn't that old in screw machine years. Right. One of the other reasons that we decided to do the, the online was the facility is in Cleveland. We are now in January. And if we did something, an on-site live auction sale, you know, dealing with the uncontrollable and unpredictable weather aspects... We eliminated that completely from our... But I mean, is anybody going to a sale now anyways during COVID? Yeah, so people will go and they'll, they'll inspect it. Right. So we gave the buyers the opportunity to go physically inspect it. Did people actually go inspect it? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We had a lot of people go and inspect it. Uh, we had a lot of people there the first day of inspection to go in and look at everything. And then they can do what they want. They, they make their notes uh, and then they go home and they bid on their computer. So um, there are some benefits of doing the online. And as the technology of the online systems have advanced, they've actually narrowed the gap a little bit. I continue to hate to say this, but they've really made the live auctioneer in a lot of circumstances a little obsolete. So having the ability to be a live auctioneer is wonderful, but... I don't think a lot of instances, not running a live auction sale and using an online system, if it's a good system, I don't think you're assuming a lot of risk. I mean, what somebody told me recently was that still like there are certain milieus, the agriculture auction, they don't do it online. No, it's it's all on site. It's all there. You want to go kick the tires, so to speak. <laughs> kick the tires. Okay. I want to try to help people out here on the other side. Um, I mean, you've given some interesting insight for people that want to be selling at an auction, um, at least academically. If you are an end user, say you're interested in a CNC lathe, like you want one specific one um, in a sale, do you have any tips? You know, I know you're kind of like helping on the other side now, but like, all right, so you're going in, you want to get a Sugami What's your tactic to to beat the other people out and to, you know, not let the auctioneer take advantage of you? Have you ever been asked that question before? Yeah, but I also want to give you give you my attitude and philosophy about helping my buyers too. I sit between my sellers and my buyers and I really appreciate my buyers and it's true that I'm there as their advocate helping them get what they want. And I really welcome the conversations that my buyers have with me and I can help them. I frequently help my buyers. They'll come to me and say, I want this machine and I want that machine. I don't want this one, but I want that one. Can you help me? And I, I actually develop strategies. I work with my buyers to help them get what they want. Interesting. If I didn't know that they want it, there's nothing I can do. So the first interesting tidbit here is I look at a sale, I see a piece of merchandise I want, maybe I should call the auctioneer. Is this a thing one should do? Or depends on who the auctioneer is. That's uh, absolutely right. You actually have to make sure that you feel comfortable sharing information. And if you don't feel comfortable sharing information, 
you probably should not share information with the auctioneer. Right. So I was going to say some of these guys, you know, there's an Italian word that we use that furbo, like a fox, you know, there's a lot of furbi people on all sides of this. Okay. If you're doing the sale, you'd recommend that they go and tell you, uh, I'm interested in this. And if somebody said, I'm interested in X machine, what would you do? What would you tell them? Well, I find out what they're looking for. I mean, maybe it's not just that machine. I had I had a, a buyer who was interested in a group of machines and, and packages of tooling. And if I can help them, I said to him, look, you're going to buy this stuff. You don't want to end up with part of this and not the rest of it. So maybe I can help you if you share with me the extent of what your list is. I might be able to help you put things together in such a way that is beneficial to you as the buyer and beneficial to me as the auctioneer and beneficial to my client, which is truly a win-win-win. I've had that happen to me many, many times, and everybody ends up happy that way. I'm skeptical when people say win-win. Well, why? You can have a win-win-win. You know, the, the buyer got what he wanted. He got everything he wanted. He got it for a price point that he was happy with. The seller was happy because we got everything sold for a price point he was happy with. And that's a win-win-win. Okay. Okay. So that's very interesting. But what if you really want something and you have no idea who this auctioneer is? Maybe, you, you know, some auctioneers have different reputations than others. Say you're just coming in blind. You don't know who they are. What should you do? Don't tell them anything. <laughs> well, no, I certainly wouldn't tell them how much you're willing to spend on a piece of equipment, right? That's true. You could tell them that you're interested and they might think, well, you know more than they do anyways. So they may even they may think they can jack you around, but maybe they can't. I've had buyers come to me and talk to me and explain to me what they're looking for. And, and there are times where I can help them out by offering things like bid protection. And if I get a bid I'm happy with, I can protect my buyers. The last thing an auction buyer wants to enter into is a bidding war, even though it's an auction sale. And sometimes we can arrange what we call bid protection. And that's what an auctioneer loves a bidding war. Of course, of course. But a buyer, when you go in small increments, you get into a bidding war. All of a sudden, you're you're at a hundred grand, and your maximum is a hundred grand, and you're up to a hundred grand, and now you're at a hundred and two five. You're at a hundred five. You're on hundred and seven and a half. You know, all of a sudden, you're way over, and you're involved in this bidding war that gets you well beyond your comfort or your budget, there are times where we can work out a situation where we can prevent that from happening. But why would an auctioneer want to do that? Well, I, well, prevent is not the right word. What we can do is we can avoid, if you're willing to bid 100, your budget's 100. If you lose it for 150, you don't care. But if you lose it for 105, you go, God, I should have bid that. I shouldn't have gotten in that bidding war. So if I know a buyer is willing to pay a hundred grand and I'm happy with that hundred grand and I know for sure I have a hundred thousand dollar bid, I may say to that buyer, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. You open it at a hundred thousand dollars. I will protect you to 115 or 110. You won't get into a bidding war between a hundred and 115,000. How will you protect them? I will not accept a bid less than the increment that I promised I wouldn't take. So at 115,000, somebody says 102.5, I'm not going to accept that. I said, the next bid's 115 grand. Take it or leave it. But do you think that's not really fair to the other person? Sure it is. Sure it is. The guy stepped up and said, I'm willing to pay you 100 grand. 
I don't always do it, but sometimes I do it. And sometimes it's very beneficial for the buyer because he knows he's got a budget. And like I said, if, if you were going to lose an item, you don't want to lose it for a thousand or two. But if you lose it for 25 grand, his budget was a lot, a lot larger than mine. And, and I walk away feeling okay. But if I walk away thinking, well, I, I really should have gone another grand or two grand or three grand and I would have the machine, I try and help my buyers avoid that. So, so the, back to the point, the point you're asking is about, you know, how do you talk to the auctioneer? You have to get to a level of comfort and you can find out the reputation of the auction company by talking to other people that have attended them. You can call the, there's associations, you can call machinery dealers that you know, like, and trust, uh, and they can tell you who's, who's uh, a respectable auction company and who, who you will probably not get a fair shake from. What about people buying things before the sale? I know, you know, we we know this happens. Just explain that a little bit. I mean, obviously, if a private person selling the machine gets a offer that's hard to refuse and you feel like it's also your responsibility to help your client, how does this go down for the normal layperson who doesn't really know what what happens? So I have always been against pre-selling something. Once it's been advertised, I've been against pre-selling something out of an auction sale. Once it's advertised, I really don't like doing that for a lot of reasons. I don't like breaking up a shop. I don't like having the facility, having the reputation of, oh yeah, they're selling a lot of stuff out of here before the auction sale. I want to drive my buyers to the auction sale where they can bid on the equipment at a level playing field. So I really, really avoid that. And I tell my clients, I don't typically like that. Now, we're all in business, right? And if I figure something for $100,000 and I get a $200,000 offer, that's compelling. Yeah. And we have to do an analysis of, all right, so if we pre-sell this item and we can let people know that it's no longer in the sale, don't come. Pulling things out of an auction sale, they have effect and impact on other items in the sale too. Because let's say you come to buy a Brown and Sharp and while you're there, you see a bunch of tooling, you see a rotary table, you see a parts washer, you see a ladder, you see a bunch of other stuff that you cannot buy unless you're there. If that equipment isn't in the sale and you're not there, you're not bidding on that stuff. Even if you don't end up being the high bidder, you're still bidding on it. You're still bringing the prices up to a reasonable level. So, But there's a lot of times where they just protect it, where auctioneers sell it before the sale and then they protect it. That's true. They'll pre-sell it and they'll put it in the auction sale and, and they'll be the high bidder. It's not a good practice. And I'll tell you something else. Whenever that has happened to me, they sell it for $50,000 because they thought it was a great, great price. We have to top the $75,000 bid that we get at the auction sale to buy it back so that we can give it to the person that paid 50 grand for it before the sale. And it destroys the reputation because the buyer, you know, hey, I bought it before the sale, you know, and he tells people and it, it, it's bad. I like to have a level playing field where people feel comfortable that when they come to my auction sales, they can buy what's in the auction sale. How can you tell if you're at an auction and you see the price going up and you're not sure if somebody else is actually bidding or not? Are there telltale signs? Depends on the auctioneer. You don't want to get into a match with the auctioneer. <laughs> Honestly, you know, the auctioneer has to establish credibility with the buyers. Some are able to establish that credibility and some are not. And some don't care. If you want to buy it, you buy it at the auction sale and you pay what I'm asking for. That's more of a retail environment than what a real auction sale is. And I don't know how to comment on that. No, no. I, I think you gave a, a pretty good answer. 
What about when you're bidding online? So now everything's online, really. Sometimes you have the the webcast or whatever, but okay, so you're bidding online, like a sale like that just happened with Duffin. And you can do these max bids, like on BidSpotter. Now, what I've tried before is doing the max bid where you can kind of like make other people keep trying. For instance, if somebody needs reference, like the price you see is two grand, but you know yourself, you'd pay 10 grand for this machine. So you put in eight grand, hoping that somebody else will just start bidding and it'll go, no, bid not accepted. You haven't bid enough. And maybe that person will get frustrated. Is that a good strategy? Online auction sales are a little bit different than your typical live auction sale. A typical live auction sale is really a linear sale where you are selling one line at a time. And you can't really be selling simultaneously multiple lots at a live auction. You can't even group them all together. But the way that the software, online software operates is that if there is a bid within the last minute or so on an item, it will extend the time for another predetermined period of time. Is there is there a, a trick? Hang on. Let me answer this for you so that I give you a, an overview of how the software works and what certain things do and other packages don't do. Okay. And then I can answer your questions that I haven't answered. That's one thing where, where you can actually bid on multiple items so you can put in your maximum bid. And the software will not allow the bid to be raised more than the underbid. So let's say you put in a $100 bid on something and the maximum bid that's not you is $5. It may bid for you seven and a half. And if somebody else has bid $100 or let's say $50, you bid 100 and the other person's bid 50, it will automatically escalate the last bid to beat the underbidder's maximum bid. But it won't go beyond that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good uh, because what happens is you can put in, and if you were watching the sale yesterday, you look at all of the items, buyers go through the catalog and they sit there at their computer and they go through the the photographs and they put in their pre-bids and their maximum bids on hundreds of items simultaneously. And then they leave and and they either put in their maximum bids and they wait for the end of the auction and find out what they got. And, or they watch the auction sale as it's going on. And if somebody beats their maximum bid, they can hop right back in. But it is a very, very efficient way of bidding because you don't have to sit there and bid on every item. You can spend your day doing something else too. Well, but then you have to sit there and watch it in overtime and, you know. Yes, well, if you want the item and everybody wants to buy it for their maximum bid, but you know that in overtime, buyers are going, oh, geez, this is the bidding where I was talking about before. Am I going to really lose that for 10 bucks? No, I'm going to bid another 10 bucks. I'm not going to lose that machine for $1,000. I'll bid another $1,000. And it keeps extending it. Listen, the auction sales and the software were designed for the benefit of the auctioneers and sellers, not necessarily the buyers. Yeah, social psychologists, I'm sure. It was designed. It was designed to make our lives easier. We have a fiduciary responsibility to maximize the selling prices for our clients. Sure. And that's the way it's designed. We are the house. So to answer your other question, you know, what do you do if you're a buyer and you think something funny is going on? I don't really think there's a lot you can do other than doing your inspection so you know the condition and the quality of the piece of equipment and establishing what your absolute maximum amount you're willing to spend. And then I think you kind of have to say, if I get it in that number, 
I'm happy. Make your budget. Make your budget. Stick to your budget. Now, if you got a bunch of things that you're looking at and you figured them for $100 a piece and you've bought a bunch of them for $50, you're doing well. Now you can take some of that additional money that you didn't spend and you can increase your your prices on, on some of the other items that you may have to bid a little bit more on. And you look at the total amount that you spend rather than the individual pricing. Now, if you're a dealer and you have different partners on different items that you're bidding on, that makes it a little bit more complicated. But if you're an end user or if you're a dealer and you're not partnering the purchase of pieces of equipment, you can easily do that and it works. Listeners, first I got to tell you, I'm so grateful for you guys tuning in. I know we have lots of competition out there. Freakonomics, This American Life, Joe Rogan. Also, I just want to let you know, if you have guest ideas or questions for me or Lloyd, we'd love for you to reach out. And if you want to talk about future advertising opportunities, we're very happy to talk to you anytime. Feel free to email me at noah at grafpinkert.com. That's N-O-A-H at G-R-A-F-F-P-I-N-K-E-R-T dot com. And now, back to the episode. I think often you see, for instance, in this auction yesterday, I, I actually paid quite a bit of attention. There was two Okumas, pretty much the same, 11 and, and 12 manufactured. Now, uh, one of the things that auctioneers do is they want something to sort of set the benchmark for the other one. If you were going to strategize, do you want to go after the first one or the second one? Or have you analyzed this before? Like how you deal with that? All, all the time. <laughs> all you're the like, time. You're so, like every morning, every night. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Every lot. Hope this was ordered properly. I hope my setup guys did a good job. You know, the strategy behind the sequencing of your lots is really based on how do I provide myself flexibility and how do I get the most amount of money out of it? And if you have two identical machines and one is a little newer than the other, I'll ask you this question, Noah. Would you sell the better one first or would you sell the better one second? I think you would sell the better one first. That's the right answer. Because theoretically, you could get more money for that just based on that. Then again, and then you have fear of missing out on the second one. So even if it's not quite as good, you have fear of missing out because you didn't get the first one. Your answer is correct. And everything you said is correct. Also, it said it sets a bar. It sets the bar. It sets the bar because everybody wants the good one. Everybody wants the best one. So you've, you've set the bar at a higher price and you've established that it's a high price. And then you sell the second one and people didn't get the first one. So now they have to get the second one. And they saw the first one go for a lot of money. So, And sometimes the second one brings more. That's what I'm thinking because people go, oh, well, this is my last chance. Yeah. So when I have two machines, I debate whether or not, if it's a live auction sale, to offer them with buyer's choice and privilege, which means the highest bidder may take either or both and or I offer it with buyer's choice without privilege. That makes it even much more complicated. Right. So it's much easier to do that in a live auction sale than in an online auction sale because a live auction sale, I can verbally express the rules of the offering of those lots. 
And I can say to my buyers, this is what we're doing. Do you understand? And a lot of times somebody will say, no, please explain it to me. And I can explain it until they understand it. And then I can offer it. When we're selling it in an online auction sale, it becomes a little bit more difficult to offer it with buyer's choice and privilege because some of the auction packages and softwares don't permit that. So you kind of just have to put them in order and let them go the way they go and just hope that you order them correctly. And I always put the best first. You always put the best first. Yep. And probably what you'd advise somebody then is to just have your budget and have your limit. Yeah. Go for your limit on each one and be disciplined, more or less. Yeah. And you can predetermine your comfort level with the auction company and the people you're dealing with by talking with them. And you can have a conversation with the auction company and the people that are running the auction sale without tipping your hand. You can talk to them and say, how does your auction work? If I want to put in a proxy, how does that work? And you can talk to them. And, and you can say, if I want you to put certain lots together for me, would you would you be willing to do that? And they'll give you an answer. And Listen, Noah, you talk to a lot of people and, and you... You develop a rapport with people. And I think I know for a fact that I enjoy developing a rapport with my buyers. Yeah. And I think any auctioneer that's any good does also welcome that opportunity to develop a rapport with their buyers. I think that buyers should not look at an auctioneer or an auction sale event as being, um, don't be intimidated by it. It can be intimidating. You don't want to make a mistake in an auction sale. But I think the more comfort you have, the less likely you will make a mistake. Is the auction business now for auctioneers, is it a better business now than it was back in the day? Is it easier to make a good buck? There's a lot of people in the auction business. So the the number of auction sales are divvied up between many more auctioneers than we used to. I mean, we used to run Detroit. We used to run 95% of the auction sales in Detroit, for example, or Ohio, or you know, Michigan, Illinois. We were not only national, we were international. And there were only a handful of international or national competitors. So this was when you were with your father still? Norman Levy. Yeah, Norman Levy Associates. Yeah. But there are more auction sales because the auction sale is a more mature process. It's better understood by a lot more people. The fact that there are a lot more auctioneers because they perceive uh, an opportunity here. I mean, there's certainly more competition. In our impression, you know, because we're observing things and sometimes people ask us if we want to work with them or consult them. It seems like the auctioneers have to be very aggressive if they want to get a sale and they don't necessarily make the best choice. They have to just like push it as hard as they can. Do you think that it's harder now for auctioneers to get a good deal because they're pushing so hard against each other? You're bringing up a huge topic, which I'm happy to talk about. There's three different financial structures for an auction sale. Uh, There's fee work, which is a commissionable event, which means the auctioneer earns a percentage of what the assets sell for. There's an outright purchase where the auctioneer buys the equipment or the assets from the owner or the seller. And there's a hybrid, which is called a guaranteed scenario, where the auction company guarantees a net minimum return to the seller. And it can become very, very competitive. The offer you get on an outright purchase is the maximum you're going to get. You're not going to share in any overage. So like yesterday, we were we were 150% over our low-end estimation. That was a really, really good day. We ran that sale on a fee, and our our seller was the beneficiary of the overage. If my client had sold me the assets, or in the case of Charlie Harvin, 
uh, I would have made 100% of everything over I paid for that deal. And I guarantee there's a revenue share on an overage. It's a little bit better than the outright purchase for the seller because while there is an insurance policy in place that protects the downside, you're also doing a revenue share on the upside. So there is still an opportunity to share in the overage. On a fee, uh, it's probably the most risky sales financial structure, but it's also the one that you make the most amount of money as a seller. And if you select properly your auction company and you work with the auction company to understand uh, how they came up with the values and what they're going to do as far as marketing, site preparation, and how they're going to conduct the auction sale, I would say that 80, 90% of the time, you as the seller will end up with more money in your pocket than if you sell the assets to the auction company. Now, it depends on your tolerance for risk and your need for capital. And auction companies do benefit from people who uh, have an immediate immediate need for cash and who are risk adverse. You know, there's a lot of business out there and auction companies, um, listen, we're the house. We know what the marketplace is like. It became very competitive. But again, I go back to product knowledge. If you know what you're selling, you know the assets that you're selling. You have the ability to market the assets and present the assets and know what you're doing. It's like going to a brain surgeon. You want to go to somebody who really knows what they're doing. Otherwise, you're you're taking a lot of risk. Yeah. Just a couple more questions. What is something that you learned uh, last week about anything? Oh, what did I learn last week? That's a good question. I learned, maybe it wasn't last week, but what I've learned recently is that there are some really, really good people out there. And COVID has been, this pandemic has been very, very, very difficult for the world. And if you're not well-grounded and you can't have a, a good vision and see a, an end to this thing, it's very easy for us to lose our way. And I think that we as a society need to really come together as opposed to being so polarized. I think the polarization that has occurred has been so detrimental to our mental health, our physical health. Uh, I think that if we can all get rid of that polarization and begin to work together. Everything would be so easy if everybody just agreed with me because I know what's up. (laughs) I'm joking. But I'm really distressed to see how people have become so angry and so polarized and It's not about working together. It's about me winning at your expense rather than working together to come to a common good. I don't think I'm wrong, but I really hope that it ends soon. Was there something specific that made you learn this recently? No, I'm watching society. I'm watching how things are unfolding and unraveling. This has been a really, really hard time for a lot of people who have lost significant, I mean, we've lost family members, we've lost businesses, and it's all coming back now, but we're not out of it yet. Has it been a good time for auctioneers? Yeah, I think the value of equipment certainly has not diminished the expense of transportation and the time it takes to get stuff out of facilities is now taking a little bit longer. But I I think because of the supply chain issues, I don't see a degradation in the recoverable values of a lot of equipment because you just can't get equipment right now. Is it good when when people are having boom times or when people are having tough times for the auctioneers? When times are good, it's much more fun and we make more money 
because we have more buyers, prices are stronger, it's easier to sell stuff, and people are happier. When times are bad, we get very busy. The prices head downward because you have fewer buyers and more equipment for sale. It's a law of supply and demand. And people are a little more grumpy when times are not as good. So we like to see times good. We like to see healthy times and happy people. Sure, sure. And things change hands more often when times are good because you may have a company selling stuff so that they can buy new equipment as opposed to selling stuff to raise money to, you know, to pay their employees. Yes. So we really like to see good times. Yeah. Do you see good times for auctions in the near future? I do. I think we'll see more equipment coming on the marketplace as supply chain becomes less restricted. And people are trying to buy equipment. When they get new equipment, they'll be able to sell more stuff. And I, I, I do think that it will remain steady and strong for the short term. Because I think right now it's so hard to find new equipment. Yeah, yeah. So it's got to be great for auctions. Yeah, I think I think it's strong right now. If you want to, if anybody wants to sell anything, I'll tell you now's a what we've seen recently. Now's a very good time to be selling. And I'm not just trying to plug the auction process right now, but it is true. And uh, I think there's a window of opportunity right now. What's one of your favorite sounds? Sounds. I love music. Yeah, I love music. I love laughter. Have you ever listened to a child laugh? You're going to. You're going to soon. I know. What, how long does it take before they start laughing? Like almost immediately? Four months, five months. But, but when, a, when a child laughs, it absolutely brings laughter and a smile to your face that is incredible. Just, just Google child laughing or video child laughing. Go on TikTok and and look for a laughing child, it will crack you up and it will make you feel good. Man, you're hip. I'm impressed. You do TikTok? God, I've gone on TikTok once in my life. God. <laughs> very addicting. It's very addicting. Well, this has been fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the people of the world? I wish you all well. Uh, I hope you can find peace. I hope you can find comfort. And I really appreciate your desire to talk to me and listen to me and and you've always been very, very thoughtful and you bring out, you have good questions and you have good insight and you have a big heart. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, fantastic. And we need to do business together sometime. You know, if you have any needs for expertise on dirty oily screw machines or, or sexy CNCs. You, you know who I call. <laughs> Yeah, you guys are, and, I, and I'll give you a plug. You guys are wonderful to work with. I have worked with you in the past, and you guys are, you're knowledgeable, you're ethical, uh, you're thoughtful, your word is very, very, very good. So I, I give you that plug too, because it's, it's the truth. Sorry, other auctioneers. We like, there's many wonderful people out there, but I mean, we have the most fun working with you. And thank you. Thank you. You better stop because. <laughs> Uh, you know, other auction companies work with you too. And I don't want you to, you know. Well, I'm not saying that things have always gone right with you. Oh, really? When have they not? <laughs> I remember I wasn't even in the business, but I remember going to see some auction, I think in the nineties and you guys just lost your head, just got slaughtered. We had a bad sale. Yeah. With Graf Pinkert. Really? They bought, they lost like $100,000 or something. It's possible. Not every auction. You don't make money on every single auction sale. 
you know? Those you don't remember. You only remember the good ones. Oh, no, no. I, I've had some sales. I had a... What's the worst sale you ever had? We're in bonus time now. What's the worst sale? There was a stamping plant we, we bought for way, way too much money. And uh, we lost in the millions. It was not a good sale. And we just overvalued it. And the marketplace was coming down. And your company lost millions? A million, yeah, we lost a million bucks, over a million dollars on a, on a deal. Fortunately, we have a lot of we had a lot of deals going on at the time, so it was absorbable. But you never, ever, ever want to do that. We bought a deal. There were Tornos Becklers, very, very, very specialized Tornos Becklers, and it turned out that there were only like six of those machines ever made, and there was no market for them. <laughs> we got were those the SAS thirty twos or something? No, I don't think they were SAS thirty twos, but I don't remember them. I blocked that out of my. It was a long time ago. We got clobbered on that deal too. But for the most part, if you have enough deals going on, you can recover, you know, you have to look at it kind of like a portfolio of investments. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're going to make money on some, you you might lose a little bit on some, but you make money on more. And, you know, hopefully at the end of the year, you've made more money than you lost. But I don't like losing money. And when I'm working with my partners, uh, I feel a, a responsibility to advise and protect my partners so that they're not involved in as many auction transactions as we are. So they don't have the opportunity to make up the different, you know, to make up their losses on another deal. You must get some people pissed off at you if they're just paying you a fee and then they lose a bunch of money. Yeah, we don't like that to happen. And, and we, you know, we advise our clients too. We think that you're good. You made a good deal. We think that you overpaid. We, and I'm honest with people about my perceptions of the transaction. So, and I've seen enough to have a, a reasonably decent opinion, you know. Anyway. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. 